So once again, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, this morning we're going to be continuing our study of the New Testament book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, no worries. All the verses will be on the screen above my head. So Philippians chapter 3, like we always do, let's just jump right in. Let's see what Paul wants us to know. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Very cool way to start out. He says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard to you. So what Paul's doing here is he's reminding us, he's telling us, listen, I've covered a whole lot of stuff in the previous book so far, right? And because it's important, he has no problem saying, listen, I'm going to tell you again, 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 it's okay. And we know this because he also uses the word further, which means, listen, I've already covered all this further. This is the other stuff you need to know. It's all good stuff. And then what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord which means be happy, celebrate. The Lord has given us a wonderful world. He's given us this life. He's blessed us. He loves us. We have plenty of reasons to celebrate. And let's be honest, uh, having joy and celebrating is central to being a Christian. Uh, yes, the world is sinful and fallen, and there's problems in the world, but we have Jesus Christ. We are saved, right? And no, you can, te you can uh, test me on this. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus tell us to be scared, fearful, Doubtful, worry, carry anxiety at all, does he? Doesn't say anything like that. Rather, he tells us as his followers to be a bright, shining light, a light on a hill that draws people in. And you got to remember, he said that because light chases away the darkness. Light is a beacon of hope for people. So that's why we should be happy and let our joy be infectious to others. And Paul says, listen, it's no trouble. It's no trouble for me to write this stuff and tell you again, again, and again. It actually safeguards you. That's his word. And again, he means he'll be happily do this over and over again. It's never going to get old for him. And the more we know about Jesus, the more we hear about him, the more we hear that we should rejoice and be happy, the more we're going to be safeguarded. It's good for us. It's good for people around us. It's just a good overall message. It's a great way to start this chapter. So next, he's going to jump into giving the Philippians a warning. And the words he's going to use are pretty heavy duty. Uh, let's read that, verses 2 and 3. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, we need to understand exactly who Paul is talking to here and what they're doing that causes him to use those words, right? Uh, it's important because we don't want to have the same problems. The people that Paul is talking about here are the people who, are, we call them legalists, people who make the law everything. The law is the way you justify yourself. The law is the way you earn your way into heaven. Uh, following the law will get you into, will get you into heaven, as sal the way to salvation. That's what they teach. And, of course, that's wrong, right? One of the ways that they kind of teach that and they, they try to push that is you worship this way, you pray this way, you belong to this denomination, you know, get a little farther ahead. And that's completely false. It's just simply not true in any way. And one of the best ways to know it's not true is because Jesus spoke out against it. One of the most memorable things he said, and I'm sure you've heard this, especially this verse, probably the most popular Bible verse in the world, completely is at odds with the whole legalistic way. It's from John 3.16. Everyone ever heard of that one? Yeah, right? Everybody has, right? So let's look at that. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever, whoever, believes in him, will not perish but have eternal life. 
Now, here's where I want you to hold my, fire to the, hold my feet to the fire. Try to find a loophole. Try to find an alternate meaning. Try to take that legalistic view and jam some of those in there and still make it work. For instance, imagine if you had, if the legalistic view, you have to be Jewish. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law. You have to be Lutheran, Methodist, Catholic, whatever. All the rules that we have, even the, the little small ones we don't like to talk about but are still out there, try to jam them in there and make it work. Does it work? No, it just doesn't. So according to Jesus, the man, the guy, his own words, what's required to be saved? I, I, I give you the answer. It's bold right there. <laughs> Whoever believes. That's it. It's straightforward. It's, it's not confusing. It's not vague. It's not flashy. It's just whoever believes. Just believe. And that's from his own mouth. Paul's point is the law the law convicts us. It shows us our sin. It drives us to Jesus Christ. It doesn't justify us. It doesn't save us. Jesus is the one who saves us. And that's what counts. Now, the reason he makes such a big deal about this, and he does this a number of times, is the false idea, the whole legalism thing is very prevalent. And people believe it, right? The idea that if you're good enough, you're saved. Like, for example, if you talk to people today, ask them who gets into heaven. Unfortunately, a lot of times you're going to hear good people get into heaven. Good people. And that's what they think. And that's very dangerous because it pulls us away from looking at our own sin. I mean, that's the whole reason Jesus came into the world. That's why he died on the cross. So we have forgiveness of sin. That's why we have baptism. Those are central to the work of Jesus Christ. Paul says it's not just wrong to push that, but the people who push that teach that on others. He says that's actually an evil, right? And that's a heavy word to throw out. And he does it because it's true. To believe that you're saved by doing good is completely at odds with what Jesus taught. And if, against, if it's against what Jesus taught, it's wrong. It can't be good. But that's Paul's point. And he takes it very seriously because that idea is out there. Now, what Paul's going to do next is very interesting, very cool. He's going to go meet those people who push that idea. He's going to meet them head on, that whole theology. And he's going to show that they're wrong from a completely, from completely another angle. And he's going to make it very personal for himself. He's going to talk about how he is a Pharisee. A Pharisee is a religious law expert, like someone who has a Ph.D. in the law. And he's going to talk about his life as a Pharisee and how it got him nothing. Okay, that's verses 4 to 6. He says, though, I myself have such reason for confidence. I mean, he means confidence in the law, that whole lifestyle. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, he's going, I got more. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. And men, remember, back then, that was a big thing. It's like a, a PhD in the law. He said, That's me. As for righteousness, Oh, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So what he means is he's giving us his spiritual resume. And if we're being honest, that's pretty impressive. Uh, it really is. He's a true Israelite, circumcised at the right time according to the law. He came from a real tribe of Israel. Anybody here from the tribe of Israel? One of the tribes? No? Nobody? He, said, he lived his life according to the law. He's a Hebrew through and through. And according to his own words, he lived his life, according to the law, faultless. 
right? That's not a small word. He nailed it. He wasn't one of those people who got really close, like B plus. He was 100%. So if anybody, he's saying if anybody can brag about being justified through the law, it's right here. This guy, two thumbs up, right back at me, right? And he's saying this so he has street cred, so he can talk with the people who are pushing this idea. He says, listen, if you can do it, I can do it, and I'm even better than you. He's not some imitator or pretender. He's saying he's the Michael Jordan of that. He knows what he's talking about. And he's saying, I was one of you. I did that. But here is what's wrong with that. He says, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's totally wrong. It's misguided. And this is, what, this is how he describes it. It's very cool. Verses 7 to 9. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything, everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So what he's doing here is he's comparing those two ideas that people who think you can be righteous through the law versus true righteousness through Jesus Christ, just simply having faith. His point is, this is where it comes from, people have this idea that keeping the law accomplishes something. You feel like you're doing something, right? Where like you're earning like maybe a better apartment in heaven, better car, little, when the gates open, you're going to be close to the front of the line because you're doing all this stuff, right? And I kind of have this term, I think I call it church push-ups. I can do like 30 church push-ups. Look at all the stuff I do, right? Look at all this stuff. But the problem is Jesus didn't tell us to do that in any way. But yet we place a lot of importance on that. And Paul is saying in the end, it doesn't do anything for us. It doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't fix our sin. We haven't earned our way into heaven. And he says all that stuff comes from human thoughts, human ambition, human, imbi- human biases, And he says, listen, for a time, I did all that. I thought that was good. I thought that was the way, and I was the best at it, but it got me nothing. He says, I really thought I was accomplishing something. And remember, he listed them off a little bit ago. He says, I was like being born Jewish, check mark, big plus for me. Ate kosher foods, check. Kept all the Jewish holidays, check. Circumcised at the right time, check. Standing next to someone who's not a Jew like a Gentile, big check mark for me. Looked great next to that dude. But then he says, did my sin get removed? No. Did it actually, any of that actually make me a better disciple? No. Did I earn my way into heaven? No. That's why all that stuff is a loss. It's a loss because it makes us, it helps us think of all that stuff as important, but we actually gain nothing from it. It's a complete waste of time. Now the, and the way he describes it, he calls it garbage. But it's not just garbage. The, ancient, the word he uses for garbage was an ancient Greek word, but it also included human excrement. Yeah, just, just so you know what he's talking about. It's a heavy-duty word. It's not just human trash or root, rotten food, but sewage-type gar- garbage. So he's saying it's really it's an awful, awful way of thinking. It gets you nothing. So what he's doing, us, doing is getting us to look at Jesus Christ and to admit that we need to be saved, right? We need to admit that we have sin. We need to ask for forgiveness and then follow in Jesus' footsteps. 
Now, I want to pause for a moment on this, because, and Paul does too, because he, want to make, he wants to make sure we get this right. He wants us to know, wants us to make sure that we know Jesus Christ. We haven't just heard about him. So let's look at what he describes. It's in verses 10 and 11. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. That's a big word, participation. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. So here's one of our major points for today. Um, Hearing about Jesus, hearing about him is not the same as knowing him. Write that down if you need to. But hearing about him and knowing him are very different. They're not the same. We can hear about his miracles. We can hear about stories in the Bible. We can hear about his disciples, his death on the cross. We can hear about that. But unless we understand that we're a sinner, that our sin had something to do with him dying on the cross, then we don't know him. Right? And this is what Paul means when he says he wants to know the power of his resurrection, and then just as importantly, to participate in his sufferings. Right? To participate means he has ownership. Jesus wasn't just some good guy, some nice guy out there. He's the answer to eternal life. He can forgive our sins truly. So to participate in his sufferings mean we take responsibility for our own sin. And in truth, have you ever seen that movie, The Passion of the Christ? Difficult to watch. That should make our hearts hurt when we watch that because each one of us, you can touch your own chest, has a role in that. Each one of us contributed to that. And that's his point. If we feel nothing, if we take no responsibility, it's not me, I don't think about it, then we've only heard about Jesus Christ. We don't actually know him. Because if we get that, we should feel something, right? And here's a really good way to think about it, a modern way to think about it. How many people the world over would you say have heard of Jesus Christ? Like what percentage? Pretty high percentage, if we're honest. Even if they don't believe in him, They've heard about him in some way, the world over. Jesus, Jesus is arguably one of the most popular, most well-known people in history, right? Almost everybody would have heard of him in some way. However, I think if you got down and you really started to talk to people, very few people, including here in the United States, know him. And there's a huge difference between hearing about him and actually knowing him, right? Where they understand that their own sin caused his death. Right? And that's where Paul is talking about. That's what he wants us to understand. There's a huge difference between just hearing about him. He wants us to truly know him, to know that we need to be saved, and Jesus does save us if we believe in him. Right? And that's a very potent combination, understanding our responsibility and then actually believing. And this is why this is important. This is, Paul, is, he's so smart. He does such a good job with this. And this is why, to him, the whole legalistic thing is such smelly garbage, The legalistic view, if you really get down and think about it, does not bring us to understand our sin in any way. It doesn't drive us to any responsibility. It doesn't bring you closer to know Jesus in any way. That's why Paul says it's such a loss. It actually deceives people into thinking they're making progress, they're doing well, when in reality, they've accomplished nothing. Nothing at all. That's why it's dangerous. Now, as Paul continues into verse 12... He's going to make something very clear. Doing it right, really following Jesus Christ, walking that path is not always easy. He doesn't want us to lie to ourselves and think it's a cakewalk. Um, And he also wants to, if we understand that, we need to know that we can have joy. 
The devil's going to be there to try to rob you of that. But everything about this is a lifelong process. It's just simply, simply something you do throughout your life. Let's read that, verses 12 to 14. He says, Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. So this is really kind of deep if the way you think about it. And what, the way Paul is describing this, this is a process. It's not a winning lottery ticket. It's not just a door that you simply walk through. Even if we know we are saved by Jesus Christ, we still have a lifelong process to follow him, to keep moving forward no matter what. And this is a great point from Paul because this is a really big thing the devil does to try to trip us up. What Paul says, and this is one of our other points for today, is that we need to forget what is behind we need to let go of stuff, stuff in our past. So here's a real question. If you feel comfortable answering it, great. If not, just answer to yourself. How, how many of you guys struggle with stuff in your past? Stuff that weighs you down, stuff that takes, robs you of your joy and makes you feel like you don't deserve it or you, you don't, you know, it, where you relive, you reevaluate, you rejudge yourself all the time for things. Maybe it's stuff that you have actually done. Maybe it's stuff that just happened around you, but regardless, you hang on to all that. It creates anxiety, and you judge yourself, and it just robs you of your joy. Paul is saying, let all that go. Let it go, right? And you got to remember, Paul, in this aspect, was a horrible person before he came to believe in Jesus Christ. His job was to hunt down Christians, to have them thrown into jail or just have be executed outright. That was his gig. That's what his J-O-B was. So if anybody has reason to hold on to the past and have guilt, it's that guy. Has anybody done anything like that, by the way? People comfortable saying you did in church? Yeah, we, that's just doesn't, you know, that's, that's like an Al-Qaeda kind of jihad kind of thing that people hunt down Christians, throw them in jail, have them executed. But that's what he did. And he's saying, let that go. And you know why? Because he's saved. He's forgiven. He's repented of that. And the reason the devil is so good at that and tries to make you hang on to your stuff is it robs you of your joy, robs you of your faith, robs you of knowing that you are actually saved. And that's why he says, let that go. It's a very good point from Paul. Let's continue now to verses 15 and 16 and see what else he has to say. He says, all of us then, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've obtained. Now this is cool because Paul's also admitting that we may not all be on the exact same page on everything. Big surprise, right? right? We're different people. We have different experiences. But he has no doubt if we remain true, if we believe in God, if we pray to him and stay close to him, he will make our paths known. For example, this is one of the things that we just talked about, a letting go of your past. There's some people here that probably struggle with that. Some people feel like they're the Michael Jordan of holding on to baggage, right? It happens. There's some people that may have no problem with that at all, and there's some people in the middle. 
What Paul is saying is no matter where you are, no matter what is going on in your life, if you have a strong relationship with God, if you stay close to him, if you pray, God will help you through it. He'll make your paths known, no matter where you're at, what's going on. Now, we also need to make a point of distinction here. And this is one of the things that I try to do as a pastor when someone comes to me with issues and things that are going on in their life. There's a difference between having troubles, which we all do, and then bringing them to God, praying to him, talking to him about it, trying to find the path, and then having troubles and then never really doing that and blaming God. Does that kind of make sense? What Paul is saying is whatever you're going through, bring it to God. Have that relationship with him. Pray to him. Talk to him. He will help you. He will make your paths known. It's doing life together is what makes the difference. That's his point. And Paul has all the confidence in the world that God will be there for you. Because remember, think of his background, how much guilt, how much baggage he has holding on to what he did in his past. And he's saying God will help you. Now in verse 16, he includes an important point that will help us stay focused, that will help us hang on to our joy throughout life because we do have every reason to be joyful. He says, let us live up to what we have already attained. Now this simple phrase is about reminding us that above all, if we believe we are saved, We're saved because of Jesus Christ. We have already attained forgiveness of sins, a new life in him, and eternal life. He's saying we have attained that. We need to live up to it. We need to live as someone who is saved. We don't need to get bogged down by worry, doubt, fear, and all that baggage. Those things are common. They happen. But because we have Jesus Christ, we don't need any of it. Let it go. We don't have to have that. And think about it. If you are actually saved... You should have joy. You should be happy. All right? That's why, if you remember at the beginning of this chapter, Paul actually starts out with the phrase, rejoice in the Lord. He's saying, you should be happy. Your joy should be infectious. People should feel that. You have a reason to celebrate. Now, as we're going to move into verses 17 to 19, Paul is going to reiterate this, that we also need to follow his example. He's also going to give a stark warning to people who go off and do life on their own. And this is what he says. It's in verses 17 to 19. All right, he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Now what Paul's doing here is he's actually contrasting two different ways to live. One way is to admit your sin, to look to Jesus Christ uh, for salvation, and then to follow in his path. The other way is just simply to set our mind on earthly things, earthly pleasures, the pursuit of money, fame, whatever, all that stuff. Get as much money as you can, as many cars as you can, big as house, Chasing every guilty pleasure you have while ignoring the needs of the poor, the needy, the foreigner. And Paul, he, he uses a really good description of this. He says their God is their stomach. And this is, this is really interesting, and it's also sad when you really get an idea of what he's talking about. He says whatever they're hungry for, whatever guilty pleasures, the new fad they're chasing, that's their God. They're just trying to feed that pleasure. And that's really the focus of their life. Uh, their immediate pleasure. And he says, that's a sad way to live. You're never going to be happy that way. And 
let's be honest, there's plenty of cases. In fact, I think I've seen this statistic before. The majority of people who win the lottery are worse off down the line in their life. They're less happy. They have so many more problems. And I personally, I know people who have been very successful in business, obtaining money, have all kinds of stuff, big house toys, and they are far less happy than they ever were. We were not created to have money as a sole source of our joy or possessions. We're created to have a relationship with God and to help people less fortunate than us. There is where you're going to find happiness. Now, in our last two verses for today, uh, verses 20 and 21, Paul is going to make two very good final points. Let's read that, verses 20 and 21. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, we need a little context here because what Paul is doing is reminding the Philippians that they are first and foremost citizens of heaven. Right? And this is actually important to us uh, today with everything going on. But let's start with the Philippians. Back then, the Roman Empire, if you're a little student of history, they've kind of taken over the majority of the known world, right? What were once a lot of unique nations, towns, and cities, everything's now one Roman Empire. It was huge. So a common question, the common thing that they debated back then, and since he's just talking to Philippians, was should we try to overthrow Rome and have our own little city of Philippi again? Are Are we citizens of Philippi, or are we now citizens of Rome? Or are we both? Because there were a couple different camps. There were people, there were believers that says, we need to overthrow Rome. Flip Philippi, grab your pitchforks and swords. And there were other people that said, let's give Rome a chance. And there were other people in the middle. We don't really know what to do. And you had these groups of believers all kind of fighting amongst themselves about what they should do. And Paul's saying, you are citizens of heaven first. You can't let stuff like this divide you. Because let's be honest, it happens all over the world. It just does. Think of it, think of what's going on today in our country. And personally, I don't care whether you're conservative or liberal, but I know a lot of people that are squaring off in their corners with their dukes raised. I'm pro-Trump, I'm pro-Biden, and we are going to fisticuffs, right? How many people do you know have their relationships strained, families don't get along at Thanksgiving anymore because of their political beliefs? Paul is saying those discussions are normal. You have your own opinions on how to solve problems. That's fine to a degree. But he's saying, first and foremost, you are citizens of heaven. You are citizens of heaven. That's what matters first. And as Christians, Jesus sent us out into the world to spread the gospel, which means if you're a conservative, you are going to encounter liberals who believe in Jesus Christ. And you can't let that stuff divide you. It's Jesus Christ first. Vice versa, if you go out... Just like if you're pro-Philippi or pro-Rome, it doesn't matter. You're citizens of heaven first. And he wants us to remember that. There are always going to be things that divide us, but because we're believers in Jesus Christ, we need to remember that first. Paul actually says we should be transformed. Our lowly bodies, our old ways of thinking are gone. We are now followers of Jesus Christ. So sure, on this earth, we're going to have our own opinions, our own ideas, and that's fine. But as Christ followers, we should be different. We should look different than the rest of the people. As citizens of heaven, we can't run around with our pitchforks, the same goals, motives, fears, and biases as everybody else. And this is why. Jesus was very descriptive. He knew about all this stuff. He said his followers should be like a light on a hill. 
a bright shining spot that draws others in. And this is, this is why he's right, and this is what's so beautiful about it. The gospel of Jesus Christ, his message, it works whether you're liberal or conservative. Did you know that? It works whether you're a U.S. citizen or a citizen of France or Russia or wherever or China, whatever. Jesus Christ is for everybody. His message is for everybody. And his, his followers, our goal is to help get that message out. Does that make sense? And it's a wonderful message, especially, like he says, if we hold on to our joy. If we have a reason to celebrate. We can let that shine and then other people will see that and be drawn in. And so Paul wants to make sure, listen, I have no problem telling you this again and again and again. Rejoice. He says, always hold on to that. Let that be infectious. So as we close out for today, there's two things I want to do. First and foremost, and this is what always matters first. If you have not given your life over to Jesus Christ, we want to give you that chance. We want you to know that you're saved, to have that joy, right? But it always starts with you. You have to make your own decision. So when I pray in a moment, the words I'm going to say, if you would like to give your life over to Jesus Christ, just say what I say. You can say it quietly. Whatever you say is between you and God. But also what I want to do is if you make that choice, if you would like to at the end of the service as people are leaving, uh, come up and I would love to meet you. I'd love to give you a Bible, pray with you, congratulate you. We just want to welcome you into the family. But at the same rate, if you prefer to be anonymous, that is okay. You're always welcome here regardless. This is God's house and we want you to grow in your faith. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, today I asked for Jesus to come into my heart. I want to know him, and I want him to know me. I admit that I'm a sinner, and I repent of my sin, and I no longer want to do life alone. And today I ask Jesus to come into my heart, and I ask him to forgive me, to wipe my sins away, and I ask for a new life in him. Father, as a church, each one of us here, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for this life and for all the blessings you've given us. Help us to never forget the sacrifice your son gave to save each one of us. Help us to hang on to our joy, the joy that comes from being a citizen of heaven, and let that joy overflow so others may see it and come to know you as well. Father, we thank you again for everything you've done for us. We thank you for sending your son. And in his name we ask all these things. Amen.